1: Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at Bluenile.com. That's Bluenile.com. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome. For the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this week we'll be talking well mls roundup u.s men's national team roster drop house of gucci mbappe pulisic jesse inter Messi, fair play u.s women's national team deal city disco the music that is and so much more but first joining me as always my friend my colleague my guiding light David Mosse, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer. Extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, May 23rd in the year 2022? Doing well. It's good to see you. We're coming off the rare weekend
2: in which we both worked but did not cross paths.
1: Yes, we were We were ships passing in the night. Um, so I went to, where did I go to? Nashville. The great city of Nashville. Have you been there before, M- uh, Mosse? I have not. It is phenomenal. It's it's wonderful. It's, uh, it's a little vegas downtown. And once you get that kind of out of your system, and that can take a while because it's so much fun down there. There's so much other stuff there. And the people are wonderful. The city's wonderful. I had a really good time. Um, spent some time with uh, Clay Travis, who works with us in Fox, and uh, who, I've, uh, I, who I've followed for a long time. And it was really, really interesting to hang out with him. Um, and to see this new stadium down there in Nashville, which is 30,000 seats. And just to see the reaction of the people again to this new team and this not new soccer isn't new as a sport there, but to this team and this MLS team. And then obviously this incredible cathedral that they have with 30,000. So it was fun. It was a really good time. Has
2: the game ended yet? Uh,
1: OK, so <laughs> yeah, that was the other part of it. And this is it comes with the territory, right? Big game Saturday night on Big Fox. We're all excited. Nashville versus Atlanta. It's a rivalry. Um and the uh, the weather gods looked at the soccer gods and said, no, we are going to trump you today. <laughs> and they proceeded to downpour. And they waited till about 20 minutes into the game before not only it started, well, it started raining before then, but when the lightning started. Once the lightning starts, you have to leave. And so they proceeded to leave the field. The players and the fans had to leave the stands, uh, at least where the overhang wasn't. And <laughs> they left. They came back. Then Lightning started again and they left again and it ended up being about three hours and we had to get pushed over to FS2. So from a soccer production standpoint, it was a it, it was a disaster in that we didn't get the game that we wanted, but a lot of people behind the scenes, men and women, were working very, very hard to, to do something. And in that case, yes, you have contingency plans, but we were on Big Fox. We had to go to the top of the hour. And so if you'll notice myself, Stu Holden and... Uh, the great jp della camera we were left to vamp for a while which was actually fun to have that type of space and and let's be honest that platform to talk about a lot of things that in a normal course of a of a uh, pregame show halftime and postgame we wouldn't get to in uh, doing studio
2: you know our number one mls play by play guy was unavailable yep. but we got to bring in jp which is like babe ruth pinch hitting huh
1: it was incredible the uh, the goat came in and for those if, if you ever got a chance to <laughs> sit down with jp della camera the history that he has uh, when it comes to this game and the broadcasting. i uh, I actually asked him a question at one point. I said, j p, tell me, um if you had to do one call over again, and he's done a lot of different sports, but what would it be? And he, you know, he hemmed and hawed and thought about it for right. He couldn't come up with something, although he did mention there were times where he's gotten a name wrong or something like that. And for any, Broadcaster in that moment—that's the worst th- thing that can uh, happen. But if you go back in the annals of, of of American soccer history, oftentimes the voice that you hear will be JP Dell'Camara's, including some incredible moments like uh, Paul Caligiuri scoring the goal that took us to the 1990 uh, uh, World Cup. So yeah, it was um, it was fun to have him, although the game didn't uh, go so well. But a fun time in Nashville was had. What did uh, what'd you do, uh, this week?
2: Well, I was in the control room for that whole right. mess when we had to fill for several hours, and then I worked again on Sunday, the uh, Portland-Philadelphia game, which we'll discuss in a minute. Um, from a non-soccer standpoint, I watched the season finale of Atlanta, which left me a little bit cold. I'm going to have to discuss this with Luis Aguilar afterwards because we both loved that show, and yet this uh, third season really. Was
1: well, the, whole, the third season or this episode?
2: Well, you know, I was reserving judgment until the end because I thought the last couple of episodes might bring it all together. In totality, and it you wanted to be fair. So Got it. I love Donald Glover, but a bit overindulgent this season. And I see Luis not. Damn, himself.
1: really? Yeah. You um, think he's, you know, all the attention and the money and the success is... Uh, no,
2: I, it's such a smart show. And I love that he's this artist who takes chances and does things differently but it it was you know atlanta is a show that skirts the line between good weird and just weird weird Mm -hmm. and i felt like they crossed the line into just weird weird a couple times this season
1: got it um okay
2: and then uh we're taping this on a monday uh tonight is the finale of part one of the final season of better call saul
1: part one of the final season. Do we know how many episodes it's gonna be normally? it's uh,
2: like So ten. this is the seventh episode of part one and then part two will be six episodes, I believe. We'll, we'll be later in the summer, a few weeks from now.
1: Why, did, why is it two different parts and not just two different seasons? I agree that this
2: is like a trend in this prestige TV era that they have to mess with the final season of a show. I don't know why they just can't do the same number of episodes they had been doing in previous seasons. They have to break it up into two parts and and try to milk it. So I don't like that. Uh, But I'm excited for this. I've got Mexican cartels on the brain right now. I just read this fantastic book called Los Senores del Narco, Mm -hmm. written by this Mexican journalist, Annabel Hernandez. The famous book came out many years ago on Mexican drug cartels and their relationship with the Mexican government. So I've always wanted to read it. I finally got around to it. It was terrific. There's an English version called Narco Land. If you want to pick that up, um, but yeah, I highly recommend. I mean, it. we're
1: we're all obsessed with the whole narco uh, phenomenon, and we just we have to be careful not to romanticize it or anything like that. I mean, I, I'm I'm as guilty. We're all guilty. I mean, I, I I love true crime and serial killer stuff like that, and sometimes you become am, uh, immune to it, uh, and maybe you you know it's it's just worth reminding us about, you know, the horrible things and the brutal things um, that uh, that go on, which is why it, why it fascinates us. I mean, we, we we're always fascinated by bad people and how they go about doing it. Um, but like I said, when, when it gets romanticized, especially in entertainment, it can be problematic. There was a, a Brady Bunch show many, many years ago where one of the Brady kids was obsessed with... Uh, Jesse James or something like that. or Then they brought back the real type of cowboy to try to impress upon this young person that while it's all fine and well to, to talk about what they did and, 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 uh, and, and to a certain extent romanticize it all, the reality is very different. And it's all part of that story. I'm not telling you not to watch Narcos or anything like that. Believe me, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, so I watched a couple of things, but you might have already seen them. I, I, I vaguely remember you talking about uh, House of Gucci, Yep. So when I travel, obviously, I'm getting on an airplane. And when I get on the airplane, the palette and the library of options is much greater than what I have at home. Obviously, I have my streaming services and whatever they are. And so I ended up watching or sometimes it's just I just haven't watched it and it's gone out of sight, out of mind. Right. And then you see it there and you have a certain period of time. And A lot of times when you're traveling across the country, it's a l- lengthy period of time. I said, I'm going to watch House, House of Gucci because I heard people talk about it. Uh, I give it. Like a, a instead of two thumbs up, like a thumb up and a three quarters thumb up, I thought the uh, the acting was wonderful, the story was really interesting, uh, and not necessarily one that I knew about. When it comes to Gucci, I know what Gucci is, but I didn't know the story behind it. Um, I thought the ending was was problematic and really rushed, forced, and therefore it hurt everything. And there's almost probably a whole nother story of. The recriminations and, and everything when it comes to the uh, the characters involved. I don't want to give it away if anybody's doing that. But anyway, uh, definitely I, I I recommend it. But it it could have been better. And I get why people both loved it and some people were critical of it at uh, at the time. So that's one. And then um, a documentary, Dons of Disco. Dons D O N S. The Dons of Disco. is this fascinating documentary about the '80s disco scene. Um, in mostly Italy, but Europe in general. And one of the huge stars was a guy named Den Harrow, H-A-R-R-O-W. Now, I, I was in the States in the 80s, and so it never touched my world when it comes to music. He, he was a huge artist, sold millions of records, had number one hits, and you know, looked the part and was, was a huge, huge figure on that disco scene at the, in the late 80s. Come to find out later that uh, he's Italian uh, and come to find out later. And that's where his producers were. That's where his music was produced. And then and it broke big in Europe. Didn't didn't cross over to the U.S. But you come to find out later that there was a guy that sang all of these hits. And not only did Den Harrow not sing on his recordings, but then he went on to perform and perform live on a consistent basis where he wasn't singing either, where he was lip-syncing, or his vocal was really, really, really low in the mix, so you couldn't even you couldn't even hear it. And this guy Tom Hooker, who ended up doing the actual singing for all of these hits, comes out later on and says, "Hey, here's the deal: I sang all of these things." Now, that in and of itself isn't a, a big thing. We know, we know the Millie Millie Vanilli situation, and uh, you know they mentioned Boney M. and a lot of groups at times that had other singers singing it right now. But it it gets into this whole back and forth between these two and what do people ultimately want and do they really care when it comes right down to it and what you are ultimately selling and the producers of this guy would say we were selling a package and it's what people wanted to see and that's ultimately what they bought who sings it is to them kind of uh, irrelevant as opposed to the singer who says that's my voice now this guy's going out there and not letting anybody else know that he's either not singing or what he is singing certainly wasn't sung originally by them so fascinating documentary about that
2: there was a hip hop scandal several years ago. A journalist uh, claimed that uh, Jay Electronica had ghostwritten several of Nas's songs on one of his albums. And Nas, you know, is uh, my favorite. That's my next concert, by the way. I've already purchased tickets. Yep. Nas and Wu Tang at the Hollywood Bowl in October. <sighs> Uh, so I mean that, that was like finding out Mickey Mantle corked his bat. I mean, uh, I, and it was inconclusive, uh, Nas denied it, Jay Electronica denied it. So I, I choose to believe it wasn't true, the accusation, but that, that would end my world.
1: Well, there's it. a huge back and forth in, in the, the world of music as to, you know, I listened to Eddie Trunk who has been around forever and really involved in a lot of music, but mostly he's a savant when it comes to the hard rock genre. And he is adamant th- that he hates any type of lip syncing, obviously, but also this this concept of flying in background vocals. Uh, when you go to a concert, sometimes the background vocals are pre-taped, they're enhanced, and so you're not really seeing somebody live. And you know, while I while I have incredible respect for bands that are able to do it live, I'm I'm of the opinion that. I don't think people care that much. They want to see a good show and they want to, they want to have it sound good. Um, but, but I get it. If you are actually the ones that are able to produce it and reproduce it live and everybody else is getting the benefit of the doubt, you're going to feel aggrieved. But anyway, we digress. All right. You want to light this candle, Mossy? Let's do it. All right. We're going to start off uh, with some MLS action. And we'll go all over the world, so don't you worry. It's coming, uh, and we're not burying the lead when it comes to the end of the leagues uh, over in Europe, but we're going to start with MLS and give it uh, give it its due because there were all sorts of games, including the one that we uh, talked about. Where should we start, Mossy? Miami, down there in uh, fair old Miami.
2: Well, yeah, we can talk about their game this weekend, but there was also some news involved there was Inter-Miami that what happened? Uh, Luis Aguilar is very hot on. He well,
1: inevitably, we get done with the taping of this show uh, and then get done with the editing of the show and post it and something big will happen. And that is the case that happened last week. So you want to talk messy, right?
2: Well, on the field, nice win for Inter Miami. They beat the Red Bulls 2-0. And then off the field, there were stories that uh, Lionel Messi uh, is going to come to Inter Miami in 2023. Mm -hmm. Also that he would uh, be given a 35% ownership stake in the club. And that's the part of the story that people were bumping up against. They felt like that was hard to believe. But if the story had just been Messi's coming to Inter Miami in 2023, I would have 100% believed it. I've said this on the podcast. I think the stars are aligning towards that. He has one more year on his PhD deal, which takes him through this World Cup, which will be a swan song at the international level. He turns 36 in the summer of 2023. So I think the timing is about right. He, He does want to come to MLS. He's been studying English the last couple of years in preparation for that. So I think he will. There's a good chance that this is actually true, minus the ownership part.
1: I don't understand why you or, or others are, are so baffled about the ownership part. I, I think that that makes complete sense. Um, I remember many, many years ago when we were doing the deal for David Beckham, and he was, and he and his um, and his agents were very, very smart in including that now infamous clause that enabled him to buy an MLS team at a completely reduced rate. And it was prescient because if you look at what that is now worth. Uh, at the end of his MLS career, he did exercise that option, paid what now is a pittance, and was able to have Miami. And now that's why he's one of the co-owners down there in Miami. And that's not going to happen again. MLS is not going to give that type of um, cl- a clause for a, a whole team, I don't think. I don't think anybody is worth it. And I don't think MLS is going to do that again, especially when they have seen how much that value was. But for a individual team to for someone that is special, and let's be honest, this is arguably the best player ever to play the game, potentially coming to North America and to Major League Soccer. Yeah, I think that you're going to do some big things. So I wasn't surprised that that was part of it. Now, it might not be ultimately, but if you were to give him that portion, that might be worth a whole lot in you know, as it as it appreciates going uh, going forward, and that might be what gets him over, and that actually to me is the most interesting part and component. Messi as a player in Major League Soccer, I know there'll be curiosity, and I know he will sell tickets as 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 one of the, arguably the, the greatest players ever to play the game. I don't think that he is Beckham esque in that, and notwithstanding that he's taking English and that's great. He doesn't speak English. I don't think he transcends in the way that David Beckham transcended so many different uh, different ways and deep people that just didn't even know or care about soccer wanted and were curious about it. I do think when you say messy to someone that doesn't know a whole lot about soccer or anything about soccer, it it resonates. but he's also been the le- the reluctant star, isn't gregarious, isn't you know, big uh, ego like uh, Zlatan. And while, while David wasn't a big ego, he was he recognized how to be a star and how to play a star. That's not what Messi, Messi does. So the player on the field, especially in a, a league like MLS, which is so hard, and Messi has played for two teams in his life, and both of them are super clubs and dominate because of the amount of money and talent that they have. And so now you come to an Inter-Miami that we know certainly hasn't been good, but it's also playing in a league where it's very difficult to have super clubs. So I'm I'm more worried about the, pl- not worried, I'm just, I'm more interested in him possibly being an owner in Major League Soccer and the cachet that that brings to this league that needs to inject things and needs to head in a positive and upward direction into 2026.
2: Uh, Montreal scored in the opening minute against Real Salt Lake, Mihailovic. Hmm. Uh, we'll talk Again. about him in a minute Again. when we discuss the U.S. national team roster, but Salt Lake came back and won this game 2-1. So Montreal's recent momentum halted a bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, last week we said that they were must-see and they were absolutely legit. And then they go out here and do something like this. I still think they're legit. I still think that they're a good team, not a, not a great team. And I do still think that, they are, that they're worth watching. But this is a big result for, uh, for Salt Lake. And it didn't look like it was going that way. And they come back and get the 2-1 win all the road.
2: We talked about uh, this game from the standpoint of you being there, Nashville-Atlanta, but let's talk about the game itself. Um, Ended 2-2. Atlanta got a late equalizer from Dom Dwyer. What were your overall impressions about these two teams? It
1: was such a weird game. Obviously, the the weather changed everything. But when you just look at the actual game, and we talked about it because we had a lot of time to talk about it, how both of these teams, from a neutral perspective, this is exactly what you want to see because they were wide open. They were almost reckless in the way that they were playing. I'm not sure if it was by design, and it maybe it is, because even when they had an opportunity to go back into the locker room because of the weather delays and kind of set some things right, they still came back out, and it was end-to-end. And I don't know who ultimately that benefits more, but certainly with this front four that Atlanta has, that type of space opening up, and they really didn't capitalize on the way that they should. And so ultimately when they get the 2-2, I think Atlanta says we'll take that point on the road and we'll, we'll go home. I think Nashville really, it just fundamentally changed the perception of this game because Nashville had plenty of opportunities. And like I said, plenty of space and two to one, they would have said, ah, oh, we deserve it. We, we, we played well. And it goes from a real, even though you're getting a point, but it goes from a real high if that, if it had stayed two to one to much more looking at it like a loss for Nashville. So new stadium, uh, was wonderful when it was when it was full and it was full and it was loud, um, but from a performance standpoint, this is this was not ultimately a good result. Even though there were times where it was a good performance,
2: do we think Robert Plant enjoyed the game?
1: That was awesome, by the way. I, I didn't even know that he was in the building, and all of a sudden shows up on our screen there. And I mean, I was fanboying. I I, I had had I had the opportunity to be able to find a way to. Not even me, just even be in proximity to gaze upon this golden rock god that has meant so much to rock and music and me, and arguably one of the greatest frontmen ever to grace the stage. Where
2: is Led Zeppelin in your pantheon? It's of band? you know,
1: it's my, t- it's in this, it's certainly in my top five, um, and but but also the influence that they. I mean, I remember, I can tell you, I forget things that happened yesterday, but I can tell you exactly where I was. When I went over to Tommy Carter, my next door neighbor, who was older than me, and his brothers, and they had the—I mean, that '70s show—that was like they, the basement that they had, right, with the bean bags and the—they had the Rolling Stone lips that they had painting painted up there. And I'll never forget when they put Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin 4, whatever you want to call it, on, and they and they dropped the needle, and I heard the first notes of Whole Lot of Love. It it changed me forever so the influence that led zeppelin and that voice uh, and you know the, the way that front man looked yeah so i was i was i was amazed i was at a loss for words at a time when i saw uh that robert plant was at uh, at nashville i don't think that he stayed for the full <laughs> three four hours that we were we were there but that he was there at all was pretty cool
2: Uh, LAFC beat Columbus 2-0. Carlos Vela, second straight game with a goal. He's scored a consolation goal in their midweek loss to Austin, and then he got one here. LAFC atop the supporters' standings, and it looks like Carlos Vela is starting to warm up.
1: Back on track for LAFC, and we talked last week about how, obviously, they need Carlos Vela, and I do think that he is worth it, whatever contractual concessions they give to Carlos Vela. I think he's such a huge part of the team, and you know, this is for Columbus. This is supposed to be the year that they bounce back, right? You have the Caleb Porter effect; where he has a really good year, and then the next year, traditionally, he he struggles. And then this is supposed to be a year that they bounce back, and it hasn't happened. And there's no shame in losing to LAFC because it's one of the elite teams in the league. But you know, for a Columbus team that is desperate for wins and desperate at home, that's uh, yeah, that's a you know, that's a problem. But it's good for LAFC, and it's good for Carlos Vela going forward. So that's the the good part of if you're in Los Angeles and are looking at Los Angeles soccer.
2: Yeah, the Galaxy suffer a 3-0 home defeat to Houston. Uh, that's now eight straight games without a goal for Chicharito. They're getting nothing from their other DPs, Costa, Cabral. Uh, so L- the LA Galaxy have some issues here they have to sort out.
1: They do, and it would be interesting to hear what – Greg Vanny sees as the problems. If they are ones that he already identified early on in the season <clears throat> in that they're not getting enough out of everybody, but Chicharito, or if he feels that there are some new ones, this was a game or this was a weekend, I think where the goalkeeping again in major league soccer was left something to be desired. And we saw multiple uh, rebounds being given. We also saw teams playing out of the back in, in the previous game that we talked about in Nashville, Joe Willis, and there were other instances where these these goalkeepers now in the modern game are being asked to do things to accommodate the modern game and oftentimes they're being asked to do things that they are not really comfortable with and the risk factor in the modern day is is in the modern game it's just amazing to me at times. i don't i'm not saying that that's a reason not to do it but, from a old standpoint, older standpoint, looking at how the game was played to now, the things that are done today, without even a hint of of worry or trepidation, and the courage and confidence that it takes for not just goalkeepers but for teams in general in terms of playing out of the back that you would never even fathom doing back in uh, not even that long ago, even ten years ago. so uh, I do think that it it was a combination of a lot of things you're not getting things from. Big-time players. The goalkeeping, I don't think, was good. And the Galaxy at home, too, in front of a home crowd. That's, you know, if, if, you're, if, if you're Real Madrid, yellow hankies are out in force after a result like that.
2: Yeah, none of the three players I mentioned started this game, but they all came on as sub Chicharito, Cosa, and Cabral and weren't able to make an impact. Um, Colorado beat Seattle 1-0, Jonathan Lewis with the goal. You know, I think Seattle will get there eventually, but it's not going to be like NYCFC where as soon as CCL is done, they just shoot up uh, right. the standings. They're still adjusting to playing without João Paulo. And I still think they're suffering from a bit of a CCL hangover. Right? It it's doesn't hard. I quite mean, feel like Seattle yet is, is all the way there. in terms. Nobody's going to feel sorry that.
1: for them, uh, and they will not make excuses. But, yeah, it's it's difficult that early in a season. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's difficult that early in the season to not be able to relight it after but it's also it's also understandable. I will say in watching that game, Seattle had a lot of opportunities so from a Brian Schmetzer, the head coach's viewpoint, he goes back in and says, all right, we didn't score, which is obviously an important thing to be doing, but look at the opportunities that we created and so they are playing well even when they don't get the they get the result so I'm still not worried about Seattle in that I just think that they're gonna be around and they'll be a competitive team. They're not gonna you know run the run the league or anything right now. And so there, I think that rejuvenation will ultimately happen when the playoffs happen. They'll they will got to get there, but I think they will get to the playoffs and then it'll be kind of a, a new lease on life.
2: NYCFC I just mentioned, they beat Chicago 1-0 ever with the goal. Um for, which meant for a few hours, they were actually in first place in the East, and then Philadelphia leapfrogged them with uh, a win that we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, I, I remain super high on this team. I think they're the best team in the league right now, NYCFC. I like the way they're playing, and so uh, another W for them.
1: So I'm watching this game, Mossy, and I know we've talked about the, the different places that NYCFC <laughs> <laughs> plays, and so I'm thinking that they're playing at Yankee Stadium. And again, it's just a different configuration or different cameras and stuff like that. But this was at the, uh, what are the, the the Mets of New York, right? Where do they City play? Field. City Field over there. So the barnstorming of NYCFC continues on, but didn't miss a beat. Got the goal they needed. Got the win they needed. Who knows where they'll be playing next home game. You never know. In the greater metropolitan area.
2: By the way, New York baseball, the Yankees and Mets both off to strong starts. We could have another subway series at the end of this year. So get ready for that you have any thoughts on that whatsoever? You,
1: you can't have them in the World Series?
2: Well, yeah. That, the nickname for that would be oh, the Subway is a, Series.
1: Okay, got it. No. Oh, Subway. Yeah, because the Subway got it. Okay.
2: Uh, you want to talk about Chicago?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think we can talk about Chicago uh, this, this week without mentioning Gabriel Slonina and his declaration and where he is taking his talents. He actually had a really, and for those who don't know, uh, young teenage goalkeeper, Incredibly talented, has come up in the U.S. soccer ranks, but he is a dual national, has potential to be a dual national with his, uh, with his Poland bath background. And Poland came calling because they see a young talent and had offered to call him up, which would then uh, mean that he could only play for one. And at this point, it would be, oh, we're losing a great player and Poland's taking him and the end of days is here. Well, we come to find out that he has made his decision, and he made it on the same day that the U.S. Men's National Team squad was announced, and we'll talk about that later on in the show. And he has chosen, drum roll, the United States. So yet another notch in the belt of Greg Berhalter and um, Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart in this newfound, important, well, it was not newfound, but it's much more accelerated right now um, and robust when it comes to wooing and basically recruiting players. And I, I don't know how little or much was done with this player in particular, but he was already in the system. And I know Greg Berhalter has done a lot of press recently talking about how they don't want to pressure these players and they also don't want to promise them something that they can't deliver. And ultimately you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. You just don't want any to fall through the, through the cracks or be swayed one way or another because of something that you said. But you also have to be honest with them and you have to hope that when you're talking to these uh, dual nationals that you are being realistic and, and honest with them and we're not just cap tying them just to cap tie. When it comes to this, I mean, we are, we are going to see as young as our goalkeepers are and as young as this U.S. men's national team is, we're still going to see that generation continue on, and there will be others that are going to challenge. Whether it's for twenty twenty six or whether it's for twenty thirty, uh, I am not sure that Slonina is make or break. In that, I don't look at this as a player that's going to lead us to the promised promised land. But he's a good, solid goalkeeper, and it's another option, and it makes it that much more competitive at that position uh, uh, going forward. I don't see him playing any part, obviously, in twenty twenty six, and maybe not even in twenty in twenty thirty. But he's still a young uh, goalkeeper, and we know goalkeepers. Play a long uh, play a long time, so I'm I'm happy about this, but it doesn't doesn't change my my lookout either of the U.S. national team as a whole, or even in when it comes to the goalkeeping situation.
2: In retrospect, I should have left that for last for for segue purposes. That's a botch on my part. I still have a couple of games I want to talk about. That would have been a perfect segue into talking about the U.S. roster. Um, well, he's not on the U.S. roster. I know, but you just talked about him in that context. Um, well, Blaine Louise. I mean, he yeah, well, he, no, he had it right. I, I, we've got, oh, so this is order. your,
1: hold on, hold on. Make sure we get this. We can put this on loop here. You are taking full responsibility for this error here.
2: No, Luis actually did a fantastic job, uh, this week because, uh, today's show is a blockbuster, um, uh, we have so many topics. And so it's a bit of a throwback to the Alex Dow days where the Ask Alexi segment was actually a substantive part of the show. We had to slide <laughs> some meaty topics. Uh, right. We'll be discussing the landmark equal pay agreement down mm-hmm. there, the Mbappe deal with PSG. So uh, you have a, a interesting Ask Alexi to look forward to. But um, Two more games I want to mention uh, as we move quickly past E. Louis doing a good job.
1: Part. <laughs> right. yeah. Let's get at it. Um, get at it. Okay.
2: Philadelphia, two nil winners away to Portland. Uh, Gazdag with an acrobatic finish in the first half. Sergio Santos added another after the break. Nice and tidy. They were the better team start to finish. Portland didn't have a shot on target until very late in this game. I'm marbling about the Timbers. Uh, three wins in 14 games. We've talked about teams like New England and Seattle getting off to slow starts and just assuming they're going to, move up the table but i'm not portland feels a little bit more skc-ish to me where right. they have some issues there that need to be sorted out uh
1: and uh eric williamson went out in the first 15 minutes yeah. i think of last uh, night's game and that's not that's not good news yeah this is a another bad result at home i mean portland loves to protest about everything all right where's uh, where's the screaming and yelling about this portland timbers <laughs> team i mean what's, go, what's going on up there uh the uh Giovanni Savaresi was asked after the game about rumors tying him to potential coaching jobs over in Italy and all that stuff. And Emily, it's kind of it's gone a little cold at this
2: point. <laughs> so. uh, although I, I just mentioned SKC, Portland did beat SKC 7 to 2 recently in a game. So on their day, Portland evidently can still be pretty explosive, although that game might have said more about SKC. That's true. Uh, And then finally, um, Austin, Orlando, a wild one. Orlando had a 2-0 lead in the second half, but then picked up two red cards, so had to play with nine men. Austin capitalized. They scored twice. They get Mm -hmm. it. A point out of it. This is in a week where they they won uh, two one away to LAFC. So Austin's still near the top of the standings. Uh, are, are we ready to say that they're for real? They're going to stay there all season.
1: I think we've I think we've said that. We've said that this is a team that is for real, and this is a team that is feeling it. It's it's always amazing to be at a team where things start to click and things start to come together. And we know this is still a young team, but uh, um, Josh Wolf, the head coach we'll have a best laid plans and every as every coach does. And oftentimes it goes in, in different directions, but to see it start to click, it must be wonderful. It must be wonderful to be in that locker room right now when, I mean, look, every locker room has drama on and off the field, but for the most part, when things are positive, it's a fun environment to be when, when it gets negative and toxic. That's where, that's where the real coaching gets done. And that's where the real shit comes to fruition, if you will. So, all good times, all wonderful, positive things when it comes to Austin right now, and and they deserve uh, and they deserve credit for what they have done in a very relatively short period of time of creating a competitive and consistent team.
2: I came up with another segue. Dallas lost uh, to Minnesota two to one, but the Dallas goal was scored by Paul Ariola, who was right in goal. fact included in the uh, U.S. Yes. national team squad. So, do we want to make that transition?
1: Uh, so now that's how you're going to transition to that's the national team. That's how I'm going to transition to oh, the national you're, team. Because you, you have Paul, Areola playing for the national team. Well, he's in the squad. You're, yeah, no, but there's a lot of people out there that don't can't believe that he would ever be called into the U.S. men's <laughs> national team. Coach and it it, it it they use him as an example of why Greg Burhalter is so out of his freaking mind. Right, but so you're you're, our, you're an Ariola fan. Uh, right? Yeah, he's been in good form. He's Let, let's do it. He's incredible playing for Dallas, and the goal he scored yesterday was incredible.
2: Uh, let's make that turn. The US okay. uh, has uh, four games in June. They have friendlies against uh, Morocco and Uruguay and then Nations League games against Granada and El Salvador. Greg Berhalter called a 27 man squad uh, for those games. And, you know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll lead off the conversation with this. Um, Had the World Cup been in the summer like it normally is, at this point, we'd be pretty much done. I mean, he'd have his 26 guys in his head, and and that would be that. But the fact that it's later in the year, and there's a whole European transfer window here where guys are going to switch clubs, Mm -hmm. and you don't know how that's going to go, and it just throws up so many curveballs and variables. And then you have have to see how they play the the first few months of next season. You can tell that he's still casting a fairly wide net. And there are names like Cameron Carter Vickers and Joe Scally and Malik Tillman and Haji Wright that are on this list. So, you know, the, the door is not really closed for anyone yet. And I, I think that's the appropriate way to go.
1: Well, I think all along he was going to use this window as an opportunity and maybe a last opportunity. And I do think he has a lot of things set in his mind. But, you know, for example, uh, Miles Robinson goes down. So now things have to adjust. Uh, speaking of, of screaming and yelling for things, and you mentioned a bunch of these uh, players that, that people have been wanting to see, and so they'll get their opportunity to see the Georgi Mihailovic. And although he's, you know, he's been in camp, uh, the Malik Tillman one is really interesting. Uh, for the 19-year-old FC Bayern midfielder, uh, has now switched allegiances. So there's another feather in the cap uh, of this this uh, this competition off the field of competition, if you will, for uh, for these players. That'll be fun. So, three things that I'm looking for in this. One, I, I, while I think that if everything's equal and everybody is healthy, the goalkeeping situation hierarchy is, just because of preference, Zach Steffen. I just think that Greg Berhalter, when all said and done, he's going to go with Zach Steffen, because I think he just trusts him more and believes in him more. Matt Turner, who we talked to last week, and by the way, you can find that in your feed. and It was really fun to talk to him. We would certainly have something to say. I would start a Matt Turner, but either way, either one of those two starting, we're fine. And then you have Ethan Horvath. And unless something crazy happens, I think those are the three goalkeepers that are going to go to the World Cup. And by the way, that he called in 27, did we say?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It should be no surprise because it's going to be 26. They're going to have a 26-man roster. Yep. Uh, and so, which, which provides him another opportunity for other players... Uh, to show up. Um, Then the other question, obviously, is who's going to partner with Walker Zimmerman in the back because of Miles Robinson's injury, and he's not going to be available for, for the World Cup. So there is... Do you continue to play in a back four, and therefore you just slot somebody in there? It's easier said than done. So now you're talking your Aaron Longs, who, who are back, um, or your, let's see, um, uh, Richards, these types of players that have been around. Chris Richards
2: is also out of this squad right, because exactly. of injuries, so he's a candidate that we're not going to get to see in Sure,
1: teams. exactly. But is there somebody that steps up in that moment and, and says, hey, because keep in mind, when it comes to Miles Robinson he just had a hell of a period and really just established himself being kind of an outsider to saying this is me and or do you do it tactically and instead of playing 4 in the back you end up playing 3 in the back 5 in the back whatever you want to call it we watched uh, Nashville do that with Walker Zimmerman kind of in the middle and does it so do you solve that problem tactically i'm not so sure that Greg Burholder wants to do that. Not that he doesn't at times want to play with a back three, and at time, but I think that's a secondary type of tactic to use either in a specific game or a specific part of a game. So that's the second thing. And then the evergreen is up top. You know, who is going to play up top? You know, we we've we have we have talked about Jesus Ferreira, who evidently is in this moment the uh the man of the hour.
2: Well, yeah, no Pepe, DK, or P in this squad. You have Jesus Ferreira, the only truish center forward is Haji Wright. And so it leads me to believe that Jesus Federer is clearly leading the pack. And also that over the course of these four games, we might see a lineup without a center forward, which folks have been talking about, just to see what that looks like, sticking a Pulisic or a Timothy Wade down the middle. I mean, could could you see yeah. that?
1: I mean, I, I, I could see it, and I will turn my nose up. And I, think, <laughs> I think that would suck. I mean, look, so you're hoping that a guy like Haji Wright comes in and is a savior. And this can happen. And by the way, that peppy train that we talked about for so long, I mean, it it, it didn't just stop. I mean, it completely went off of the tracks and is sitting <laughs> in the, the, the ditch on the side over there. So that's a problem. And, and he's not here because he's tired? Is that what Greg Berhalter said? Well, he said that he wants to
2: give him a little bit of time to sort of uh recharge after this difficult season that
1: he's had the world cup is in november and december what do you mean (laughs) recharge this this doesn't make any sense to me i I don't i don't understand this is a world cup year and so if he is even a possibility no you're not taking nobody needs a break over the summer in a world cup year, getting ready for november i'm not saying that you can't rest i'm not saying that players physically and mentally don't need time to time to rest but he hasn't done anything hasn't even played
2: it's interesting, though, when Burhalter gives his explanation of why he didn't call a peppy, you can agree or disagree with it, but I believe that the reason he says is the actual reason. To circle back to center back for, for a second, the John Brooks situation, at this point, Burhalter is better off just coming out and saying, look, I don't rate the guy as highly as all of you do. I don't think he's a good fit, and that's that. I'm yeah, the coach. he's trying to I'm work around to make it, decisions. Yeah. Every, Camp, he has to come up with a different excuse, and and then it contradicts the one that he gave a couple of months earlier, and he's getting himself, you know, twisted up in that, and just just come out and say it's, you, And you, it's <laughs> not even moving
1: the goalposts. It's it's literally just there is no real. It's just it's just this subjective type of thing that this is how I want him to play, or this is why <laughs> he's not playing how I want him to play. It is. I think Greg Berhalter, because Greg's a smart guy. So, and I have not talked to him about this, but the part of me feels like there has to be a reason why he is doing it because, like I said, he's smart. He understands how what he is saying is going to be interpreted or misinterpreted here. And I don't think he wants to do that either to himself or to the player. And yet he continually <laughs> finds different reasons and you know, he's, he's not playing this way and we hope he'll get back to playing this way, but, that, but this way never really is clarified as to what it is. And if I was, was Brooks... Who I'm not saying necessarily should be here, and I have no problem with him not being here. But if I was him, I'd be saying, I don't think that there's anything that I could possibly do, and that's that's okay too. But that type of honesty and that public honesty, I sometimes is is difficult. And to your point, I just wish that that Greg would say, Hey, no. But who knows? Maybe he's starting come November. <laughs>
2: The Malik Tillman one is interesting. If this was 2014, the mere fact that this guy plays for Bayern Munich and made a few first-team appearances this past season and is a German youth international would have been enough for a big segment of the fan base to say, of course, he should be in the squad for the World Cup and he should be starting. And I think Jürgen Klinsmann kind of bought into that (laughs) line of thinking. But here we are in 2022 and I've actually been impressed with the reaction of U.S. fans. It's, hey, this is nice, but let's see if the guy can actually play because we haven't seen a lot of him. He's played... Roughly 160 minutes of first team professional football in his career. So, um, you know, and the fact that Burhalter called him in makes me think he has scouted him and he does think that he's worthy of a look. It's not just because the guy plays for Bayern Munich. Um, so. Oh, stop.
1: Uh, stop, Mo. Of course, he's because he plays for Bayern Munich. But Because you, if this exact same player who was playing the exact same way, was a player for RSL or for Montreal or or something else there's no way get could.
2: But you that. think Burhalter falls into that trap too. And we know there's yeah. a segment of the US fan base no, I,
1: But I think it's completely natural. When you, when you attach a Bayern Munich to it, there's a obvious level of credibility and you have to pay attention. And I think like I said it's it's just a natural type of reaction and rather than than fight it all the time, you, you might just give into it here or there.
2: But would you concede that the fan base right now feels better about the options the U.S. has, so it's not like, of course, this guy should be in the World Cup squad. It's let's wait, let's see how he does in these games. There's a little bit more. But, of but a why cautious. shouldn't other
1: players that don't have the cachet of of being a Bayern Munich player be given that opportunity too? If you brought in 20 players, including him, right, and then said go, it would be interesting as to you know who would be left standing so, so, at the end of it. So his call up does bother you, rubbed rubbed you the wrong way it, a little bit. It doesn't bother me because I completely understand why. And I do trust that Greg Berhalter and his staff have been assessing it, but they assess it in that they're assessing a player who plays, who is part of the club on the books at Bayern Munich. And they certainly trust the folks at Bayern Munich, and that is a a team with incredible history. So the theory is he's with Bayern Munich, so therefore he must be good. And even that in and of itself, to blanket it like that, isn't, is dangerous. So, and, and I hope he's good. I hope he comes in and they say, hey, this is a good player either for now or, or maybe more likely later when he comes in and we have an assessment. I do think that it's good for them early on to get an idea of what this player is, both as a player on the field and as a person off the field in that dynamic, because there will be players, players that are playing at big clubs or on the books at big clubs that come in and they can't either handle what goes on on the field in the way that they want to play, or they're, they, don't, they just don't fit in, and that's, that's okay. But yeah, he's, it, like I said, if he's the exact same player and he's playing somewhere in MLS, there's not a chance that he's getting called in.
2: In Burhalter's system, do you think Christian Roldan and Mihailovic are more wingers or midfielders?
1: Um, I think that Mihailovic is more of a midfielder. I think that Roldan is more of a winger. Yeah I, th- yeah, I think so. Interesting. But, I, but I still don't know where mentioned. ultimately, and this is the problem for Georgie, he's got to come in and fit into what they have and really kind of get people, or maybe come in and say, I'm going to give you something that you didn't know you needed and something that you don't have. And either it's a temporary look uh, or it's a change in a game, because I don't think he's going to come in and fundamentally change the way that Greg Berhalter is going to go about go about playing, but he's, they know who Georgi Mihailovich is. Okay, he's been in before, but he's the reason why he's coming in right now is because of how well he is playing. And as you all know, form is fallacy—not always, but form is fallacy. All right. Anything else? I'm good. You good with that? No. I'm excited. I'm excited about the, you know, the the narrative. I will I will say this to finish this off: the the consternation that seems to just be part and parcel of the roster drops that we have with the U.S. Men's National Team. It's relative to the amount of talent that we have and all of these players that we have and the depth that we have. I have not seen the same type of screaming and yelling uh, with this roster drop because I don't think that... Look, you have the injured players, and there's nothing you can do about that, but I don't think that there's a lot of players out there that can feel aggrieved by not being on this roster. I know we've talked about John Brooks and everything, but the... The way that, and Twitter is a, a whole separate thing. I'm sure there's people out there that are complaining on Twitter because insert this player that nobody's ever seen or heard of but is playing here or there and has scored a goal. Why the hell is he not being called into camp? I think that this is it. This is, along with the players that are hurt that will will, will be there, this is it. For better or worse, uh, this is it. And I'm, I'm good with that. And I think everybody said, yeah, this is probably the right roster roster to call in at this time.
2: Does it bother you at all? We're months away from the World Cup, and the U.S. has to burn two dates playing Grenada and El Salvador. This CONCACAF Nations League is a bit of a poke in the ass How right now. How
0: dare you? How I, dare I, I, you? And
2: I know they have it in Europe, but for England, who are in the U.S. group, that means games against Germany and Italy. So it it serves their purpose of preparing for the World Cup. Well, uh,
1: we could we could join UEFA then. I mean, we, we could. Who knows? The new configuration, you know, a new world order or something like that when it comes to where everybody is playing. Yeah. Does it is is Greg Berhalter going to learn anything in the same way that at times we talk about how, um, you know, how the national team, probably the best way to assess the talent from the national team is to watch them in training, because more often than not, and even more so when it comes to the women's national team, the games don't really show us anything. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I I think that his training is really going to show us a lot. The games against this type of competition, not so much.
2: I'll say this. If an MLS player scores a hat trick against Grenada, it means nothing. But if Malik Tillman does, the guy plays for Bayern Munich. Exactly.
1: So. And he should start come that first game against whoever that opponent is in November. That is it. That's it?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to uh, Greg Berhalter and the uh, uh, and the boys getting together, and we'll see who comes out of it and all the different concerns and questions or excitement or revelations that may come out of this camp. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, there's all sorts of stuff that happened as uh, the leagues around Europe came to an end, so we're going to go check out that. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back. Let's go to England, right? Right off the bat here, and uh, it's over. So, crown, crown the champion.
2: The final round of play was this past weekend. Manchester City, as we both predicted, uh, did in fact uh, get the result they needed against Aston Villa to capture their fourth Premier League title in the last five seasons, but they made it a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. I must say, when Coutinho scored to make it 2-0 Villa... At that point, I thought Liverpool were going to win the title. You did because at that point, Liverpool were one-one against Wolves. I was sure they were going to get a winner there in Anfield, and I did not think the way City were playing; they just looked so out of sorts that they were going to be able to score three in the final twenty minutes. But give them credit, they did. So they end up pipping Liverpool but by one.
1: Point. The hope will kill you, Mossy. And whether you're <laughs> Keith Costigan or uh, Zach Kenworthy, I know that they too, at that moment, were saying, "This is this this is happening. This is it. This is happening." And Pep and company said. Mm, not so fast and you 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 got that sinking feeling um and <laughs> man oh man once once the first one came it was look out and whether it's you know the, the substitutions and Gunduan and and everything it was it was something to see it was something to see
2: and there's been a lot of debate about how much value we should attach to these Manchester City Premier League titles and the fact that they haven't won the Champions League uh Pep tries to argue that it's harder to win the Premier League. I don't agree with that. But I will say the Premier League is the uh, league in Europe that still has the most juice. And the fact that they're competing against a a team like Liverpool and and Chelsea, et cetera, it makes it where I don't put City in the same category as a Bayern or a PSG. To me, there still is value to them winning these Premier League titles, although ultimately I do think they need to win a Champions League crown to round off this era, or there is going to be something missing. What do you feel about that? Wait, wait.
1: So you're saying that but, A
2: club like Bayern or PSG, it's gotten to the point where, where their season is completely defined by whether uh, they win yes, the Champions League yes. or not. Yes. I don't give those teams any credit for winning their leagues. I don't think it's gotten to that point with Manchester City because I think the Premier League is competitive enough. And when you're going toe-to-toe with teams the caliber of Liverpool, there is some value in winning uh, the Premier League. I think. Yeah, but Pet- they've
1: won four out of the last five.
2: But I think Pep can, can, at the end of the season, can look at you with a straight face and say, this was a successful season because we won the Premier League, while if Pochettino tried to do that, he would be laughed out ah, of the room. there you go.
1: That's I, I would agree with you there. I mean, the, the value of winning your league is different in England than it is you know, for, for a team like Man City or, or, or Liverpool, for that matter, or uh, relative to someone like Bayern Munich uh, or Barcelona and Real Madrid. I, I would agree with you there.
2: Um, Tottenham secured fourth place they did what they had to do, they hammered Norwich 5-0 Son with two goals he finished tied with uh, Mo Salah for the Golden Boot, Arsenal took care of their business 5-1 over Everton but uh, it wasn't enough this is bitterly disappointing for Arsenal, I mean they had it in their hands and for of all teams Tottenham to leapfrog them at the end, Uh, they can talk about how they made progress this season and I think they did and they have some exciting young players Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, etc but man this was a golden opportunity they had no european football uh so they had fewer games than everybody else and and it was it was right there and and they couldn't uh push
1: well, through when when matt turner is leading them to the uh <laughs> you know the um, europa league uh, everything's going to be fine. And I, and back I know, to glory.
2: I know Antonio Conte is a pain in the neck, but he is a very good manager. He did a good job here. They made an excellent January sign. They made two, really, in Benton, Court and Kulusevski, but especially Kulusevski. I mean, we talk about Luis Diaz, but Kulusevski was right up there, too. He scored twice in this game against Norwich. And, you know, when they played Arsenal in that midweek game, they won 3-0. Looking at those two squads side by side, I felt like, man for man, Tottenham, Tottenham was clearly better. So uh, to me, this sort of ended up as as the four best teams getting it. Um, so you're happy with the four then? Yeah, From and, a com- I, and
1: pure neutral conspe- competitive standpoint, it makes. And, and assuming
2: like- Conte stays, I think he's a manager that Harry Kane respects and feels like as long as he's he's there, they can compete for well, trophies. Assuming he stays,
1: I mean, <laughs> you, never, you never know with him, right? <laughs> yeah, he might just get up one day and say, "That's uh, enough."
2: Uh, Chelsea, uh, they beat Watford. They finished third. Christian Pulisic did not play in this game. And now a very interesting off season for him. Uh, Yeah,
1: we 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 drove in this morning, and we come to find out that because this is how (laughs) this is how things happen in the world that he has changed the header of his Instagram account that once referred and talked to him and talked about him being a Chelsea player. It has now been washed, scrubbed, erased of Chelsea when it comes to, I guess the the notes and. It, it, now the he still has pictures of him in a Chelsea uniform and, and playing, but he no longer in that little blurb that is used to kind of describe you includes Chelsea. Dun, dun, dun. The day that
2: Luis Aguilar stops following me on social media, that's when I'll know that I'm off this podcast. Yes. It, it, won't, it won't even be an announcement by Fox. No, I'll just, but
1: you'll read the writing on the yes, wall or lack of um, writing on the wall. Okay, got it. Mention, so yeah, but I mean, he, no. But this is nothing new. We've talked about the potential of him going someplace going Was this a successful season for Chelsea?
2: No. Okay. Um the now they were unlucky. They got to the two cup finals and lost to Liverpool both on penalties. But uh the Lukaku two, didn't work, out. Know. Right. The two trophies they won, I look at as extensions of last season, the UEFA Super Cup and the Club World Cup. I know they occurred this season, but you know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. Yeah. um so if you look at the all the competitions that were self contained to this season, they didn't win any of them. They went out in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. They finished well below City and Liverpool in the league. So, no, I don't know how you could say this was a successful season. Well,
1: there there will be changes this summer, and we'll see if uh, Christian Pulisic is one of them. Uh,
2: one team that definitely did not have a successful season is Manchester United. <laughs> Who? They lose to Never Crystal Palace. Them. You know, we talk about them closing the gap. On City and Liverpool, they finished 13 points behind Tottenham. Right? How about an 11 behind Arsenal? How about they close that gap first before they even think about uh, City and Liverpool? So uh, they have an interesting off season ahead.
1: They can look forward to Europa.
2: Um, yeah. Right. So it'll okay. be um, Arsenal and United going to Europa League and West Ham to the Conference League.
1: Oh, I love the Conference League.
2: Um, let's uh, let's head down to the bottom of the table. We, we buried the lead as far as Americans uh, because it was a triumphant day. Um, for uh, American it's, soccer it's interesting. I'll, I'll bring that up in a second oh.
1: that, that we buried the, league, or the lead relative to Americans because that's an interesting thing I want to uh, expound So
2: uh, Jesse Marsh pulled it off. Mm-hmm. He's kept leads up. They won 2-1 uh, away to Brentford on the final day while Burnley lost to Newcastle. Uh, Everton, by the way, had clinched safety Midweek with this stirring comeback against Crystal Palace. They went down 2-0, then scored three unanswered. Incredible scenes at Goodison Park. The fans stormed the field. That was amazing. So they were out of the woods. It was all about Burnley and Leeds. Leeds stay up. uh, And so... It uh, has, to, has to be said, a uh, successful job by Jesse Marsh. He, he took over a sinking ship there. I love Bielsa, but they were trending towards getting relegated and Jesse Marsh, all, you look at all the numbers, they were clearly better under him than they were under Bielsa this season and he keeps them up, which means he'll presumably stay the manager uh, next season and there's already talk about Brendan Aronson going there, which by the way, predated Jesse Marsh, So Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be framed as, oh, American coach wants to bring in an American player. They were interested in him in January when Bielsa was still the coach. It does sound like that deal is going to go through. I think Fabrizio Romano, last time I checked, has already given that the here you go treatment. Um, And there's even talk about Tyler Adams now, people putting two and two together and figuring he might go there. Uh, But it sounds like you're itching the uh, comment on Jesse Marsh. No,
1: I, well, first first and foremost, (laughs) congratulations, Jesse Marsh and congratulations, Leeds. And, I congratulate Jesse Marsh first because, let's be honest, the reason why the majority of people are tuning in to watch leads around the world and certainly around the United States is because of the connection and the, um, I guess it would be at this point, not just admiration, but I think excitement and, yeah, even love for Jesse Marsh and what he is doing in this incredible adventure. and. I think you are burying the lead from an American soccer perspective when you don't frame it through the eyes and through the Jesse Marsh story. That's not to say that Leeds isn't a big club. That's not to say that there aren't diehard Leeds fans. And it's not to say that Jesse Marsh is more important than Leeds. But from an American soccer perspective, he is. All right? And so that's why this is so exciting and important. Um, I'm so happy for him. And it wasn't easy, but I think the way in which he went about looking at this situation, seeing the opportunity, and then most importantly, and sometimes the hardest of all, was the execution and the way that he held himself, the way that he believes, maybe more so than anybody out there, and you should, if if you have a an identity, an ethos, you should be that true believer in yourself. I think that Jesse Marsh says, that's where I'm going, and this is how I'm going to get there. Not that that there aren't going to be pitfalls along the way, but I believe that this is the best way to get to our destination. And that is the mark of a winner, and that is the mark uh, of a leader. And I'm so excited to see him now with that pressure and that burden that is saving a team and keeping them from the drop lifted. And now he can go about doing some things. And whether it's bringing in players, and we talked about Aronson and others that are going to come in, but more so just take a breath and establish from the beginning and through the summer and through training camp how he wants this team to play. Because I think think he's the first person that will tell you that this is far from the finished product in terms of the way that he looked at. And at times when you are fighting relegation, you will be pragmatic and you will do things that you wouldn't normally normally do if you had a long-term type of situation. Now, it doesn't mean that he's not going to be under pressure to kick on and to do uh, to do well here, but I think this is a fascinating story. I think that there will be books written, who knows, there may be you no know, movies and types of stuff in terms of this American. And throughout it all, the American part, and I know we talk about that this on the state of the union a lot. He never shied away. He never once, at least the way that I Interpreted and looked it at him and, and felt it. He never once was embarrassed by it. As a matter of fact, I think at times he used it and armed himself with it and uh, recognized the absurdity at times of the way the Americanness was <laughs> was attached to him and almost used as a weapon <laughs> against him. And he understood. He understands the ridiculousness oftentimes of the press, including the English press. And I think. This is this is just awesome. So I was I was very very happy. I know a lot of people that, that have no connection to leads other than Jesse Marsh. Watch that, and we're very very excited.
2: Can I put my Brazilian hat on here for of one course. second? So we talked about this on Ask Alexi last week. Uh, Rafinha has been linked to Barcelona, and. Had Lee's been relegated, the buyout clause would have gone down to 25 million euros. So Barcelona fans were all watching this intently. I was following Barcelona Twitter. It was quite humorous. And Rafinha goes out and plays his heart out and plays well, was the best player on the field. And Barcelona fans were like, what is he doing? Does he not realize this is bad? <laughs> and others were saying, well, no if he's playing this hard, he must know that the deal is going to go through anyway. But they couldn't conceive of the fact that he's just being a professional. Like right. They had to view his performance through the lens of what it means for that transfer to Barcelona. It was kind of humorous. Listen, we
1: all have lenses, <laughs> all right? And we all view people and uh, things and games and teams and all the different things in life through those uh, lenses. So it's, it's it doesn't surprise me at all. But congratulations, Jesse Marsh. You have made us all proud and we are excited to see uh, you back in the Premier League with leads going forward in 22-23.
2: So Burnley, Watford, and Norwich are the three teams that go down. Um, In Italy, we also had the title decided uh, this weekend. Uh, AC Milan, to their credit, made this fairly anticlimactic. Uh, They had it in their hands, and they took care of business. Uh, They beat Sassuolo 3-0. They scored all three goals in the first half. Rafael Leon, who was a real breakout star this season, set up all three. Giroud got two of them. Frank Kessie got the other. Uh, So that rendered the inter-result moot. Uh, They took care of their business, beat Sampdoria 3-0, but Milan finished two points clear. They take the title. They won their last six games, by the way, to uh, to clinch this title. Uh, It's their first Serie A crown since 2011, their 19th overall. Um, A few things here. I've said this before, I'll say it again. Stefano Pioli is the most underrated manager in European football. It's an amazing story. He took over in October of 2019, replacing this guy, Marco Giampaolo, who had just been sacked. And he was really a glorified caretaker. And the guy that Milan were planning to bring in that was going to transform the club is our good friend, Ralph Rangnick. Uh, The deal (laughs) was pretty much done. It was going to be at the end of the 1920 season. And then lo and behold, uh, COVID happened. The season shut down. And when we came back, Milan was absolutely lights out in the restart. They played great. And so... They got cold feet. They decided, uh, screw this Rangnick thing. They just gave Pioli an extension. And then he's gone on from there. They finished second last season. And they win the title this season with a squad that, I'm sorry, they have some good players, Rafael Leon, I just mentioned, Tonali, Frank Kessie, Ben Brahim Diaz, Teo Hernandez, Tomori, um, but in terms of pedigree, it's not like it's a, a type of super club squad that you would think, you know, especially with AC Milan, you know, would be winning Serie A titles. So he's done a remarkable job there um, and deserves all the credit in the world. And this is now two straight seasons that somebody other than Juventus won it. And Juventus didn't even come close after they had won nine in a row. So Serie A is starting to distance itself from the Bundesliga and Liga when we have that conversation about leagues that are boring and predictable. I'm not trying to act like it's MLS. I mean, it's still only like three or four teams that could win it, but that's better than one team.
1: You know, I- I, So why don't you put the Premier League in that? What do you mean? Four out of the last five, isn't that predictable? No. no, no, it's <laughs> different. It's different. It's different. Okay, fine.
2: Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, so and 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 keep an eye on AC Milan because there's talk that they might be bought by this consortium from Bahrain. So they might be like the next uh, Newcastle, PSG, Manchester City, and if they have all this money coming in, then they might shoot up and become AC Milan again as we know them. But still, even without all that money, they've a are A champions. So give them credit.
1: Well, while they don't have these. High-profile stars in the way that they have had in the past. This is still an OG super club, right? This is, and I think when you look at, you know, over a decade that they haven't won the Scudetto, right? And so, I think this is a big moment. I think this is a big moment because of the, you know, some of the parity that we are seeing and the good and the good parts of that, but also just for AC Milan. I'm trying to think of, you know, even though Juventus got relegated, that was because of. What they did, it wasn't because of just bad play um, and bad decisions when it comes to the competitive side, but I'm trying to think of i mean right now you could probably look at Manchester United as the closest elite super club to fall from grace, and so that they are back, I think that's I think that that's pretty amazing, and I think it's good, like you said, for not just for a c Milan and that that image that they have, or in that image that they wanted to try to reclaim, but also uh, but also for Serie A. So congratulations, that's all. And congratulations, uh, Zlatan wins another title? Damn.
2: Unbelievable, this guy. It's incredible.
1: So, um, by the way, he was involved in their last
2: one in 2011. So it's amazing. full circle. It's amazing. Um, so Milan, Inter, Napoli, and Juventus uh, finish in the top four. They go to the Champions League. Lazio and Roma go to Europa. Fiorentina go to the conference league. And (laughs) there was a somewhat odd development at the bottom of the table. So Salernitana lost 4-0 at home to Udinese, which meant that had Cagliari won their game, Cagliari would have leapfrogged them and Salernitana would have gone down, but Cagliari could only manage a nil-nil draw. So you had this scene where Salernitana lost 4-0 at home, but there were jubilant celebrations at the final. (laughs) So they stay up, Cagliari, Genoa, and Venezia go down in Syria.
1: Uh, We should mention that Weston McKinney, um, did uh, uh, get on the uh, um, the roster and the and he got on the field? Did he get on the field? Did he actually? He did. Get yeah. He on okay. Perfect. Sub, All right, right. So he yeah. got he got on there. That's great news for him. I think that's great news for Juventus because they're going to be some changes when it comes to Juventus uh, with players going out. So hopefully Weston McKinney is looked at as a huge part uh, of the of the team going he's, forward.
2: You say that, but they're being heavily linked with Paul Pogba, and a lot of people Uh-oh. fear that that might affect uh, McKinney. Also. Juventus being linked with Christian Pulisic. If you were to leave Chelsea, that, that's a possible destination, so. Ooh, can you imagine? Keep an eye on that. Both of them at,
1: uh, at Juventus? That'd be great. <laughs>
2: uh, in Spain, everything was set at the top. Real Madrid had clinched the title. We knew the top four. The order there ended up being Barcelona two, Atletico Madrid three, Sevilla four. Uh, Betis and Sociedad go to Europa League and uh, Villarreal goes to the Conference League all the drama was at the bottom it involved a colleague and friend of ours Stu Holden uh, who also had reason to celebrate Mallorca they get the result they needed uh, 2-0 over Osasuna. Cadiz won as well they beat Alaves so those two teams stay up and it's Granada that go down along with Alaves and Levante. Uh, did you talk to I texted Stu Holden, he was very happy. Did you talk to him after yeah, that? Yeah, so
1: I actually flew back with Stu from Nashville, and it was right before the game was coming. But you know, we knew that this was going to come down to the wire. And I I, I don't want to speak for Stu, but the pressure that I got in, in all of our talks was it was going to take something special. And the the real Um, potential and possibility that they were going to go down existed. And so I don't think he would have been surprised or anybody would have been as surprised when it all was said and done that they were uh, relegated. We know that it was always going to be a relegation battle in terms of the amount of money that they spend and what they are. Uh, Having said that, uh, Stu, I'm sure celebrated <laughs> as, he, as he should, because this is something that I'm not sure the ownership and the leadership there was really sure w- was going to happen. So congratulations to Stu Holden. I'm excited because we live kind of vicariously through him because, again, this is a team that nobody would give a shit about, let's be honest. Uh, and I'm not saying that there aren't Mallorca fans, but the reason why I have any connection or I care at all about Mallorca is because my friend Stu Holden is an owner. Uh, in, in that team. And I see and I live the ups and downs through him. And I want good things for the people that I love and the people uh, and the friends that I have. I want good things for you. I want good things for everybody here. And so I want good things for for Stu Holden.
2: Uh, two notes. Uh, we give uh, an American credit for keeping leads up. So in the spirit of fairness, it was a Mexican, Javier Aguirre, that yes. orchestrated the survival uh Mallorca. A change also, that happened
1: mid-year and yep. uh, you know, important.
2: One of their goals this weekend was scored by a guy named Clément Grenier, who is a French playmaker who, when he was at Lyon years ago, I absolutely loved. I thought he was the next big thing. And then injuries have derailed his career. I kind of lost track of him. And then he popped up at Mallorca this season. And, and lo and behold, he scores a goal in the match that keeps him up. Uh, and I don't know, it just sort of hit me. that, like, man, that's that's where this guy is right now. I thought he was like the next in
1: Well, it's weird when you have ex-players who are owners because, you know, for a lot of them, <clears throat> even if they're just minority owners in terms of the stake that they have, they think about the game and they see the game through the lens of all of their experience that they have, both as the player and, and off the field. And yet they're not, while they're ownership, they're not in the position for the most part when it comes to owners of dictating what's going on. And they have actual people that they pay and are in those positions. But I'm sure it can be Incredibly frustrating from the outside when decisions are made, especially when those decisions don't go well, the signing of the players, signing of coaches, the tactics, the the decisions that are made during the game. It must be incredibly frustrating for, for every owner, but certainly for owners that have a background in the game and you're tempted to say something or do something, even though it's not necessarily uh, your place. I happen to be an owner of uh, Detroit City FC, my hometown club, along with 27 hundred other people. So, I I keep my mouth shut to a to a certain extent uh, and make my feelings when I when I need to make my feelings known. But so far, so good when it comes to my ownership and uh, De- and uh, Detroit.
2: Not on the run now, but I'm going to do Germany next because we did have the German Cup final this past weekend, uh, Freiburg against uh, Leipzig. Um Freiburg were up 1-0 in the second half and up a man, but Leipzig found an equalizer through Christopher Unkunku, who what a season for him, 35 goals in all competitions. Uh, it ended up uh 1-1 at the end of regulation, at the end of extra time, went to penalties, and Leipzig won it. Tyler Adams, by the way, who it must be said, uh lost a little bit of his uh status at that club this season. He became kind of a squad player. He was their fifth sub in this game, came on in the middle of extra time. So I know some people were framing it as, oh, positive, another American wins a trophy, but it wasn't a great season for him, truthfully. Yep. Um, and he might
1: be on the move too, so.
2: Yeah, uh, but it's the first major trophy for Leipzig, which of course is triggering all this debate in Germany again. We're relitigating the whole 50 plus one. It's not and really a team, Leipzig, it's not yeah. really a team. All of Germany yeah. is upset that, that 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 they won a major trophy, but here we are, I mean, the, the Leipzig thing, does it bother you that much? Does it rub you the wrong way?
1: Me? Yeah. Like. I'm no i mean <laughs> i don't care and i don't look at it any more or less of a team i you know this sanctimony more on the that type moment. of stuff um,
2: all right <laughs> and, and Dortmund made some interesting news they sacked their manager marco rosa after one season and they brought back Erden Terzich, who's a guy who had served as the caretaker in the previous season after they sacked lucien Favre. When they sacked Lucien Favre, I remember talking about this on the podcast. It's tough to figure out what Dortmund are aspiring to be. Exactly, they finished second to Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga, and the guy gets sacked. Well, right. you know the way they operate. What were they expecting? You know, I, I, they performed poorly in Europe, but
1: I mean, I think there is an element when you take over Dortmund that yeah, you want to punch above your weight and try to compete against Bayern. But anybody that takes over, you got to take the job. But you're looking around, going, okay, <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I'm going to try to punch above my weight here, but you gotta I mean, within reason, you have to give me a, an opportunity and and you are, you know, you're famous for selling and selling players really good players on. and while you make a lot of money, if you really don't want to step up and and that's the problem in Germany. Nobody has really stepped up. I mean, let's be honest, at this point, what do you need? You need a oligarch. I don't know if we do oligarchs anymore, but you know, that type of thing or a, a nation to come along and say, we're going to buy Dortmund or we're going to buy this. And even that poses problems because of the the restrictions that you have. And you thought that maybe Red Bull would be that, but they they hedged their bets a little bit. They haven't really gone full in.
2: Uh, and finally, Ligue 1, uh This will segue into our first Ask Alexi question, which is about Mbappe. But, uh, so they beat Mets 5-0 uh, this past week, and Mbappe scored a hat-trick. Neymar scored his 100th goal for PSG in 144 games. Um, it was the first time in a while where there's actually been a good mood in that stadium because the Mbappé news had had broken uh, right before. Um, Marseille finished second, which means they go straight to the Champions League group stage. Monaco finished third, which means they go into Champions League qualifying. And at the other end of the table, Metz and Bordeaux go down. Saint-Étienne, uh, they play in the relegation playoff. Um, so that's the end of the season in Ligue 1. But the big story uh, in France and really in all of Europe this weekend, you could argue, was Kylian Mbappe, which we'll talk about.
1: Uh all right, we're going to we're going to take a break here in a second. But before we go, uh, I, I, I live my life by just a few simple rules. One of them is don't be an asshole, Moss. So you know that, right? Or I guess I should say don't be an asshole unnecessarily, because I know I can be an asshole at times, as as, as we all can. And certainly if you're going to be an asshole, all right? Don't be an asshole in a physical way, right? So this this storming of the field phenomena, which we know is in all sports, and it happens, and there is this this element of celebration in these moments and communal tribal uh, connection that happens in this sacred place. And the field in sports, it is sacred. And we also know that there is... You know, a history of separation between the field and therefore the players and coaches and the fans and the supporters. And at times that separation actually has caused problems. And we actually have gone a long way in making it much more open and free and much more connective. From practical purpose, if there are problems, you don't want people behind massive gates and these types of moats, moat, moat, excuse me, moat situations that we have. And that is, I think, is a good thing. Having said that, some of the, the behavior is not, it goes without saying, is not good. So if you do, and if you are part of a <laughs> storming of the field because of this moment, first off, you individually, first I'm talking about individuals, you have to deem it necessary and right to do that in that moment. You come to the conclusion, yes, it's right. And you may come to the conclusions because this is the most amazing thing right now and I am overwhelmed by emotion and passion and I want to celebrate and I want to break that, that wall, even though it's an invisible wall, I want to break that invisible wall and become one with this, with this field. Fine. I, I get that. You might also be making that decision because of, we know people do strange things uh, and things they wouldn't normally do when they are part of a group. And whether it's, you find it yourself, you find it in teenagers, you find it all over in all walks, all, all walks of life. But if you get caught up in it and you want, and, and this happens, don't be an asshole. Don't, for the love of God, don't go after opposing players. And by the way, I, as I said, it shouldn't be physical. Even yelling at them and saying stuff, what's your problem? What, 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 is, what, what is your problem? Don't, don't do that. Don't provoke in any way, either physical or verbal opposing players your own players anybody out there if you're just going to celebrate and you want to get a selfie out there on the field i get it the problem is is that if this keeps happening and there are and there is behavior then we're going to have to revert and go back to these things that we don't want to revert and go back to where there is this protection where is this shield and where it, there is this this separation this necessary separation but ultimately That'll be a sad day if we go back to that. But all it takes is a few rotten apples out there to spoil the bunch. And we saw that on display this weekend. And it, it drives me crazy every single time because I know you get caught up in the moment and I know you get caught up in the group. But um, let's hope that there's less of that. And it can just be a communal celebration and everybody has a good time and kisses and hugs and takes selfies and then everybody leaves in an orderly fashion
2: if you had said don't be a jerk you could have saved Luis a lot of work i know but
1: just, you had to use there's, there's a different a word of, like five times there's during of, that. D- could be multiple words you <laughs> counted it as two words or one word is asshole one word or two words what do you got <laughs> asshole 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 <laughs> all right on that note uh, all right we'll take a break we'll, we'll take a break and we'll come back with ask alexi All right, we're back and it's time for uh, Ask Alexi. You send those questions in to us and you use that hashtag, Ask Alexi. And uh, you know, for the most part, we pick out the best ones and we answer. Or you can send us a uh, a comment or a question on our podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. All right, we got some Twitter questions this week, right?
2: Yep. First up, at Coach C underscore Cougars asks... What's up with Mbappe, man? Dude is burning bridges <laughs> faster than a pyromaniac.
1: Um, is he? I, I mean, I, I'm not sure I agree with his premise there. They, they, I think the premise is that he led Real Madrid on in, in whatever way and then pulled the rug out from under them at the last minute. Do you agree with this?
2: Well, there's a lot to unpack okay. here. So the news is that uh, Mbappe ended up re-signing with PSG, a three-year deal until 2025. Uh, the figures are hard to pin down, but I'm seeing reports of more than $50 million a year net. Netto. Yeah, after taxes and a signing bonus of well over $100 million. He also now owns the Eiffel Tower. No, I mean, <laughs> or at least half um, of them. Um The top half. I am stunned. I know a couple of people came after me on Twitter, pointing out that I had been saying for weeks that it was definitely going to be Real Madrid. I, I plead guilty to that. Um, I, I never thought he would take it this far and then not go to Real Madrid. It, I felt like if he was going to resign with PSG, it would have happened much earlier. He, he claimed last summer that he wanted to go to Real Madrid and was disappointed they didn't accept uh, that PSG didn't accept the 200 million euro offer. He's turned down numerous offers since then from PSG for a contract extension and to take it all the way to the end of the season and. As recently as the middle of last week, everybody who was in the know was saying it was going to be Real Madrid. He had told them he was coming. And then he had this change of heart at the last minute, and it's PSG. So um, we can discuss the implications from the PSG side, Real Madrid side, and then just larger implications for uh, the European football. Uh, very quickly, or go well, ahead.
1: Just, I just want to ask you, are, are you surprised just because all indications were that he was going? Because on the surface of this, a French star, a World Cup winner, getting to continue to play in France for not just any club, one of the great clubs in the world that's going to pay him a ridiculous amount of money, that shouldn't be so crazy. And I know we all have dreams and ambitions and all of those for the greatest players in the world seem to lead through just, I mean, a handful of five different clubs there. And so that's seen as the next logical move. And so that, that in, tr- in traditional logical moves, this didn't happen. That could not be a surprise, but because it's him, is it less of a surprise?
2: The interesting thing for me is there's a way he could have done this and not risked burning the Real Madrid bridge. He's young enough. It's right. a, It's a three-year deal. And let's say he had signed this deal with an understanding that in two years, you'll let me go to Real Madrid. They'll pay a big transfer fee and You'll let me go then, and Real Madrid had been sort of on the loop and all this, and and he had done that a while ago. Um, Then I could see it because he'd still be arriving at Real Madrid around the same age that Cristiano Ronaldo did when he left Manchester United. So I stay at PSG a couple more years, earn a crazy amount of money, I become their all time leading scorer. I maybe maybe win win a Champions League. And then I go go to Real Madrid, I'm still in my mid 20s, and I have a lengthy, substantive part of my career happen there. But man, it the way this played out, uh, Real Madrid are feeling very jilted right now. So I, I don't know if you know his dream has always been to play for Real Madrid. Now, Real Madrid can be very cavalier about this now and say like, oh, that that's it. That train has passed. We're never going for you again. I want to see in a couple of years if Mbappe is the clear-cut best player in the world, the biggest star, and he is available in the transfer market, and Barcelona are bidding for him All or right. English clubs, And Real Madrid is not going to get in that mix and and revisit that. You know, those two years could heal those wounds and… I don't know. So yeah, that. but it, it's, it strikes me as a little bit of false bravado from the Real Madrid side right now. But nevertheless, he did do this in a way that upset them. Well, there were ways he could have done this where it, it might not have. So that that part of it surprises me. Like I said, I think if it, he could have, if he had re-signed with PSG, I thought it was going to be a while ago and everybody understanding what this means. It's a short-term deal. I still want to go to Real Madrid eventually. The way he took it to the very end and we're giving Real Madrid every indication he was coming now and then to pull the rug out but from what, under them. What
1: indication did he give you that he was going? Well, yeah, not me, but, oh, but everybody- But no, in general. It's not like he had a, a, a press conference.
2: That's true, yeah. I'm just relying on all the insiders that right, cover okay. it, right, Fabrizio fine. Romano types. Um, what so, do they know? Right. Yeah, so a couple of things. From a, from a PSG perspective, uh, to state the obvious, this is absolutely massive because Mbappe is the guy that gives that whole project a sense of youth and excitement, You take him out of there and all of a sudden that team, it starts to become like a mid-2000s Real Madrid late Galactico era where you have a bunch of big names like Messi and Neymar, but they're all kind of past their prime and it starts to feel like a place where, you know, trophy players go late in their careers to earn a big paycheck when they're not that great anymore. You know, it just just sort of gives it a whole different feel. As long as Mbappe's there, you can't really accuse him of that. They have the best player in the world in his prime playing there. So it, it, it gives the whole team, the whole project, a, a different feel. It would have been so humiliating to turn out an offer of 200 million euros for him one summer, get knocked out by Real Madrid in the Champions League, and then have him go there for free. Right. So they averted that complete humiliation, which would have discredited that whole project.
1: Well, because this is one and arguably the greatest player in the world right now, depending on how you look at it, there are, there's, there's baggage and there's repercussions from these things, and so now we, we, we hear this news, and then all hell breaks loose when it comes to La Liga. Let, let so me. Oh, you want to? You want yeah, let, Let's. We'll, we'll get there, but. Well, I mean, uh, we, we can't spend for, we can't spend a half an
2: hour on this. Fair. I'll whip through this quickly. Uh, the big challenge now for PSG is: can they build? A proper team around them that can actually win the Champions League because we found out this season that just those three stars alone aren't good enough to do it. And there are reports that they're bringing in this guy, Luis Campos, to be their sporting director, who I think is one of the best sporting directors in European football. Now, it's always curious to see how a proper football guy can function in that PSG vortex and what he's actually allowed to do there. Well, oh, who's
1: not good enough there for PSG? Who, who do you
2: got? Well, there's a sense that it, it's too many stars and they actually need to unload some of those guys. It's and, too much talent. Yes, too much talent. and so, and Pochettino is going to be gone and we'll see what they bring in as a manager and so from from the Real Madrid side of it quickly you know it's interesting because there's been this sense since Ronaldo left in 2018 that they're not quite the same Real Madrid have dropped down in terms of quality and star power and yet here they are they've won La Liga two of the last three seasons and they're in the Champions League final so they're sort of projecting this image the last few days of like You know, we were operating from a position of strength. Mbappe wasn't a need. He was a nice to have. Mbappe is going to win the Ballon d'Or this year. So, you know, we're still Real Madrid. You know, one of the big beneficiaries of this has been Vinicius Jr. Because now they're all in on this notion that we already have one of the great young players in the world. There are even people in the Madrid media saying Vinicius is better than Mbappe, which I'm the biggest Brazilian homer. That's preposterous. Um, uh, But so... I mean, where do you come down on that? Do you think Real Madrid are lacking a a big, big star? They miss out on both Holland and Mbappe, or do you think, no, they're fine? The fact that they're in the Champions League final shows that they're they're not lacking anything, that Mbappe would have been nice to have, but they're, you know. No,
1: if they want to continue to be this elite team and to be this super club, then you have to do things like this, which is why there is that surprise. And I think there, the, the, the surprise that I was asking you about, I think it's legitimate relative to what Real Madrid is and the way we think about what Real Madrid is. However, this particular Real Madrid team, like they spend plenty of money on it, but it's not the Galacticos in the way that we think about it. And so getting that next big star, and that, yeah, I mean, that's what Real Madrid is. And let's be honest, where they are right now when it comes to Champions League, I mean, this is a Cinderella team that has gone to the well time and time again and again the soccer gods have smiled very kindly on them relative to the talent uh, to the talent that they have and i don't i don't want to see a pragmatic, pragmatic real madrid team i don't want to see a frugal um or financially <laughs> prudent real madrid team
2: uh, all right. So we get to the part that you were Speaking really of finances. About. So um, La Liga have filed a protest with UEFA. They're wondering how on earth PSG can give Mbappe this contract and still be in compliance with financial fair play when they're paying Messi and Neymar and all these other big stars, massive deals. Uh, La Liga's president, Javier Tebas, has long been a critic of these golf clubs, he calls them, the PSGs and Man Citys and Newcastles. He thinks they're ruining football. Let's stipulate that probably nothing's going to happen there. And financial fair play is a joke and it's never going to be enforced. And the PSGs and Man Citys are going to be able to continue doing what uh, they've been doing. So the discussion is, uh, what does this mean for European football? A few weeks ago, when Bayern and PSG both clinched league titles on the same weekend, we were talking about the lack of competitive balance. And I said, you know, that Bayern would bristle at being lumped in with PSG, given the way they operate and how PSG operate, but that a league in which the same team wins every season because they generate more revenue is just as boring to me as a league where the same team wins every season because they have the richest owner. It's a distinction without a difference. Um, Now, I was perhaps a bit too flippant there. There is a difference that we need to flesh out. So, um, you know, the, the argument from the Real Madrid side is, you know, they're not looking for like true competitive balance across the board and a salary cap and leveling out the playing field. They're perfectly happy with a super club structure in which they have an advantage over 99% of the clubs, but they feel like they've earned that through decades of being successful and building up their brand. They're put off by this notion that there are clubs like PSG and Man City that could just buy their way to super club status. They don't like the competitive imbalance among super clubs. Do you have any sympathy there or do you roll your eyes at that? I mean, what's your overall take on that?
1: <laughs> I mean no I have no sympathy at all for them. I don't care how you get it. I mean it's it, it, the story is old old as time, right? Nouveau riche, you know, an old old school and uh that no. I mean the, the elites are always going to feel challenged when somebody comes into their club that they don't feel has either the proper background or the proper history or has done the things in the same way that they have, and they're, they'll, they'll scream and yell. I do think that, first off, you mentioned financial fair play. I didn't even realize that it was a thing anymore. I thought we got rid of that. I mean, is that, <laughs> is that really a thing anymore? I mean, it was, it was announced, and there was... During COVID,
2: they relaxed the rules to help out the clubs, and now there's talk of them reinforcing them again, but...
1: I, I but it doesn't really matter about COVID. Either you enforce it or you don't, and we all know the loopholes and the sponsorship and stuff like that. So that... that that they are complaining about this. It's, it's again, a messenger and and the message, right? The message may, in and of itself, be legitimate in that there are things that are going on that maybe only certain teams can do, and you might even throw Real Madrid into that, but only certain teams are able to do that are beyond the pale and that are pushing the limits and maybe even over the limits of what, initially, the financial fair play things were designed to, uh, to have a problem with, but... That it's coming from real madrid and with the super league in our in the uh, in the rear room mirror and all that kind of stuff it's it it's kind of rich you know pot kettle all that kind of
2: so stuff. so you either want true parity let's talk about a salary cap leveling out the playing field but as long as you prefer this super club structure you don't draw a big distinction between the real madrid's and the psgs it's all kind of the same thing yeah,
1: and it's all the same thing so if you if you really want to try to have some uh like you said parody it's man- it, You have to manufacture it because if you just give people who have lots and lots of money the ability to do stuff, they're going to do as much as they as much as they want. And then if somebody comes along that has even more money and you're going to get it bent out of shape because they're spending more money, come on.
2: Now, to address the elephant in the room, and this is a little tricky on Fox because we have the World Cup and all that. But how much does the sports washing play into this? Let's say it was Bill Gates who bought a club. Bill Gates, who I find to be an upstanding citizen. I don't know why anybody would have any issue with him and he decided to spend billions of dollars on the team, would would the realm of world be less put off by that than they are this idea that it's these countries that have these problematic human rights records, et cetera? How much does this whole larger conversation about
1: sports wise? First Washington off, hands? I can find problems with Bill Gates, okay? Uh, I can find problems with... And that's the point. You can find problems with, with, with anybody. And there will be people that would argue that the sheer existence of Bill Gates in terms of the money that he has and the control and power that he has amassed and the direction... And the influence that he has is in and of itself problematic. Anyway, um, what was the question?
2: So, <laughs> okay, maybe Bill Gates is a bad example, but let's say it's some guy who's just an upstanding citizen who happens to have a lot have of billions money.
1: and billions of dollars. Who would that be? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean? Like, yes, it, I no, I don't. I don't draw a distinction. I don't. I. This is sports. This is entertainment. This is. This is. This is about money. Now. While I may go on about the value that I see in parody and manufactured parody, there's another side to me that says, if you're not going to do that, then I don't want any restrictions. Do whatever the hell you want. If you want to – I talk all the time about super clubs. Those are the ones that have, are of interest to me. You know, unless – like I said, unless Jesse Marsh is coaching Leeds uh, or Stu Holden is an owner in Mallorca, I don't care about those clubs – I care about the big, bold, arrogant super clubs out there. They're what drive the narrative. And ultimately, when all is said and done, they're the ones that are providing the entertainment and the superstars and the talent and a lot of the competition that we're talking about. And I know that there's talent, and I know that there's entertainment and interesting things that come from promotion relegation and smaller teams and smaller leagues and all that kind of stuff. But let's be honest, the reason why these teams or these leagues are now global brands is because of the the money spent, because of the perception that that money brings, and how exciting and enticing it is to a global audience out there.
2: Uh, So Real Madrid uh, are, in fact, playing in the Champions League final this upcoming Saturday. Uh, The next question is from Alex Andre Calado. He asks, who do you choose to win the Champions League? It will be Liverpool versus Real Madrid in Paris, ironically mm-hmm. enough, where Mbappe might be hanging out. Um, so we'll make up some time here because we've already talked about this game over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, the latest news, uh, Thiago uh, picked up an injury for Liverpool this past weekend, so he's now a major doubt. Uh, but it sounds like Fabinho, Sal, and Van Dyke are all fine. Um, for Real Madrid, Alaba, it sounds like, we will be fine. You know, Real Madrid, because they pretty much got to... Uh, shut up shop for the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. They're going to have their full squad rested and healthy while Liverpool do have some bumps and bruises here. Um, so I, I said a couple weeks ago that from a footballing logic standpoint, I would pick Liverpool, but I'm scared to pick against Real Madrid because of this uh, magic carpet ride they've been on. Uh, well, so I'll do that. No, I'll, I'll tell you. Going, Liverpool going is going Liverpool. to win
1: because I think that the well is going to run dry for Real Madrid.
2: Uh, I I agree with you. I'm going to pick Liverpool as well. Um The uh, women's UEFA Champions League final uh, was this past weekend. Uh, Lyon beat Barcelona 3-1. They raced out to a 3-0 lead. Katarina Macario with the third of those goals. Yep,
1: I watched it uh, from Nashville. uh, With uh, Like 200,000 people were on the uh, YouTube channel that was uh, broadcasting that I was watching.
2: Uh, Alexia Puteas pulled one back, but it was not to be. Barcelona fall. So Lyon win the women's Champions League for the sixth time in seven seasons. Barcelona, who had won it last year, denied a repeat. Uh, you know Barcelona had been getting all this buzz yeah. as the greatest team ever. The Francis Silvas of the world, really touting them, and all kind of said, "You know, they said mm. slow your roll." And that it, it, it makes me think uh, back to when UNLV Jerry Tarkanian they won the 19th- oh, with
1: the what's what the towel?
2: Yes, they yes, won eating the, the towel yes. 1990 NCAA championship, mm-hmm. and then were unbeaten the regular season in '91, and they were starting to draw comparisons to John Wooden's great UCLA teams that won seven in a row. And lo and behold, they lost to Duke in the national semifinals. And John Wooden supposedly was at that UNOV duke game. And when the final buzzer sounded, he got up and was walking away. And somebody asked him, what do you think about UNLV now? And he rolled his eyes and said, a lot of teams win one in a row. <laughs> so take what? that, Francis Silva. Right. Um, <laughs> um, we did have another uh, men's... Well, hold th- on, that's just to, uh, when it ahead. comes to that final, just yep.
1: uh, the the fact that Barcelona was so highly touted, I think it's justified given their given their results, but to your point, Leon said no, and the same concerns that I, that we talked about when it comes to the Spanish national team, women's national team, in that they're not quite there. Kind of reared their their head um, from an attacking perspective, they miss out on the ruthlessness that you did see from Leon, and from a physical perspective, I thought that Leon completely overpowered them, and but that and, and that same. Criticism and concern we've leveled against uh, bar uh, against uh, Spain as a national team, so once those two components come into play, and look, I know it's not all Spanish players when it comes to uh, when it comes to Barcelona, but those were some of the the problems. I think Spanish soccer and Spanish women's soccer has concentrated so much on the technical side of it, which which is understandable, especially given the history of the game there, that they're they're missing that other physical part of the side so- uh, of the side, which ultimately is what enables you to beat a team like Lyon. Um,
2: The Europa League final also took place last week. Eintracht Frankfurt against Rangers in Seville. Uh, Rangers led 1-0 in the second half, but uh, Frankfurt equalized through Rafael Santos Boré. It uh, eventually uh, went to a shootout. Um, James Sands came on for Rangers in extra time, uh, but it finished 1-1, and then Frankfurt won in the shootout. Uh, the first German team not named Bayern Munich to win a major European trophy since 1997 when Dortmund won the Champions League and Schalke really won the UEFA Cup. Oh, eh. my goodness. 25 years. Um, it, by the way, I mentioned the Frankfurt goal was scored by Rafael Santos Bore, who is a Colombian international. The most mind boggling occurrence in world football over the last couple of years is the fact that Colombia went seven straight games without a goal in World Cup qualifying, a country that has Luis, Luis Diaz, Juan Cuadrado, James Rodriguez, Rafael Santos-Boré, Duván Zapata, Luis Muriel, Radamel Falcón. And uh, somehow they had this incredible drought and it ended up costing them a place in the World Cup. So all those players are going to be sitting home, which is uh, astonishing uh, because Colombia really do have a lot of attacking talent right now. Um, So uh, that is it for that. All right. Um, Final question. Luis dug one up from June 2021 because he thought it was relevant given the big news last week. Uh, In June of 2021, at Kindle C asked Alexi, how can the United States Soccer Federation be responsible for what FIFA distributes as prize money at the World Cup? Why that's relevant is because last week uh, there was an announcement of a landmark agreement. The U.S. Soccer Federation has reached a new collective bargaining agreement with both the men and the women through 2028, and it guarantees total equal pay across the board, including this issue of the FIFA prize money, which we all thought was insurmountable. Um, given, you know, the, the differences involved. I mean, k- keep in mind, uh, in 2018, FIFA allotted $400 million in prize money for the Men's World Cup. And then 2019, it was $30 million for the Women's World Cup. France got $38 million for winning the Men's World Cup. In 2018, the U.S. got $4 million for winning the Women's World Cup. So the U.S. Federation has long said to the U.S. women, look, we can't square that. I mean, it's just too big a difference. But they have because the men agreed to take uh, what they get and what the women get and put it all into one big pool and then just divvy it up 50 50 and everything else is 50 50 too, appearance fees for friendlies and bonuses for results even stuff like the playing surfaces now it can't be that the men play on grass the women play on turf the same number of charter flights so this is a tough one for even the hope solos of the world to poke holes into i mean the u.s women they won this is genuine equal pay this is uh, an, a landmark agreement that's going to send ripples throughout the sports world.
1: It might, might not. Um, I guess congratulations are in order and I think fair and right to give because of, you know, the length and the extent of, I don't know. say animosity, but, you know, the the court filings and the back and forth and, and the public way in which this played out and the vilifying of different people and entities and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, this ultimately, and we said this a couple years ago when, when I was asked this, I said this, this is about money. And this gets solved with money. And I know that that's a little simplistic, but let's be honest, it is. And, I, and it doesn't mean that there isn't a personal component. And it doesn't mean that desiring change can't be a part of it. And you said that, that the difference in prize money was insurmountable. It wasn't insurmountable. It just required the U.S. men to do something and to do something unprecedented. Because there are federations out there that have touted relationships between the U.S. men and the U.S. women's national team. And those are relative to percentages of fees or of, of monies that they get. This is not about percentages. This is sharing equally when it comes to the money. And so while it's not insurmountable, it just required the men to look at the situation and to feel that they could afford, and that's an important word, afford to share the FIFA prize money. And in doing so, position themselves as progressive as benevolent, as virtuous, as heroes, as saviors in terms of, like I said, the benevolence and the charity that they are willing to give. And let's be honest, relative to the women's national team, the men's team can use some positive light. Uh, and I'm not talking about the, the, the soccer playing right now, but just the way that they have been framed, oftentimes as part of the problem or less than supportive. And in one fell swoop, like I said, they look very, very good in all of this. But don't think for a second that this isn't ultimately about who's getting paid and how much they're getting paid. And whether it's the settlement that came a little while ago, whether it's this new deal that agrees to share and increases uh, monies on both sides, um, whether it's the resources that we're talking about that are now equal. Ultimately, this means that, yeah, uh, the men didn't have to do this, but they saw an opportunity. And they saw an opportunity in the presence, in the present, to look good from a public standpoint. And there is value to that. Also to make money, at least in the short term, and for this generation of players. And so I think that they saw that this was a a no-lose type of proposition, and so now it's all kumbaya, and we are going forward. And to your point, Mossy, what what you do hope is that this might put pressure on FIFA first and for, first and foremost. Although you know they're going to dig their heels in because that's what FIFA often does, and they will have their reasons for doing so. But also puts pressure on others out there and other federations to do. Uh, do something similar. Now, these players might not be so benevolent, uh, the men's team, if they weren't making a lot of money and many of them making a lot of money. They're not all making a lot of money. If the details of this new deal didn't also provide for them in the short term and makes the situation better for them in the short term in terms of the money that they either will earn uh, or stand to earn, going forward. And it's going to be interesting. And it'll be interesting at a time when that scale between the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team, which has been so overwhelmingly a women's national team in terms of how good they have been and the elites and the best in the world relative to the men's national team not making the World Cup, that scale has kind of tipped because the women's national team is going through a transition period and a new generation is coming about. And the men's national team is on the trajectory upward we're all very very excited about what's going on we may find out very very soon what it's like in that moment to give up money because you felt that it was the right thing to do and it's easy to kind of just think about it in an abstract sense and then when it gets actually down to it in terms of what you're giving giving and the reality hits it, it might be different it softens the blow because a lot of the men are still making a, a tremendous amount of money and they they felt that they could do this. But I'll I will say this. There have been deals done in the past that the uh you know, the groups of players have said, no, that's we're we're not going to live up to that. So I hope that this is kumbaya. I hope that this is the end to a long and difficult and oftentimes ridiculous and ugly and sordid type of um negotiation uh, and situation, and that we can go on and celebrate all of the wonderful soccer players that we have, all of the the wonderful teams that we have as they get ready for some really, really important years leading up to 2026. So uh, ultimately, this was a question about being responsible. No, the U.S. Soccer Federation is not responsible in that they don't decide what FIFA does. And for the U.S. Soccer Federation to simply turn around and go and say, "All right, we'll make everybody whole by taking a huge chunk of money and just giving it to the women, that would be fiscally irresponsible for them to do. And so this is a way of fixing it. And it, it played out the way we all talked about, that it needed the men to fix this. And ultimately, the men did. That was it. All right, my friend, uh, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, oh, yeah, it's time for my one for the road. All right, we're back, and it's the end of the show. At the end of each and every show, I give me uh, my one for the road. You may have noticed over this past weekend that we have some new Hall of Famers when it comes to the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame out there in, uh, in Dallas. Congratulations are in order. Officially now, they put on the red jacket. To Clint Dempsey, uh, Christy Pierce-Rampone, Shannon Box, Marco Echeverry, and Essie Bahamas. Essie Baharmus, uh, a a wonderful referee for many, many years. Marco Echeverry, a MLS legend, and a DC United uh, legend, Shannon Box, and Christy Pierce-Rampone, both... Stalwarts, incredible players for the U.S. women's national team, and then obviously Clint Dempsey for the men's national team. And so congratulations to all of them. Welcome to the club. In particular, when it comes to Clint Dempsey, I had had mentioned a few few weeks ago that I had gone out of town. And uh, the reason why I had gone, it was to actually film some stuff with Clint Dempsey who has now been announced as part of our team, Mossy. He will be part of our team this November and December as we head off to Qatar for World Cup 2022. And you may have seen Clint Dempsey over the last couple of years, who he really kind of went quiet for a a number of years and then came back and started to do some broadcasting. And uh, he's done a really good job and an interesting... Uh, interesting voice. And so to add him to our team, I think strengthens our team. And it will be interesting to hear what he has to say about this new generation. I mean, you're looking at arguably the greatest male uh, American player ever to play the game. And we will be able to pick his brain about all things, not just U.S. men's national team uh, in the World Cup, but World Cup and and soccer in general. So that's going to be fun to see and, and to have him there each and every day. Talking about the game, so congratulations to all of those. Mossy, anything before we go? Uh, if
2: you had one game to win, Dempsey or Donovan?
1: In the World Cup, it's uh, Landon Donovan. If it's a bar fight, it's Clint Dempsey. You know, I mean, like it's you're good, you're good either way. But I, I've gotten this question before, and it's always been about Landon Donovan, who was money at the international level. I mean, Clint had a wonderful international career too. Um, but if I have to pick one, yeah, I'm picking Landon Donovan. Uh,
2: one last, last thing. Oh, okay. I didn't, couldn't find any other place to put this, but uh, I think Luis will like me ending on this note. The Liga MX final is set. It will be Pachuca against Atlas. Um, Atlas uh, advanced in remarkable fashion. They had beaten Tigres 3-0 in the first leg, and they led 1-0 in the second half of... Uh, the second leg so 4-0 on aggregate and Tigres scored four on answer to level the tie 4-4 which meant at that point they were going through because in Liga MX the higher seed is the first tiebreaker which was Tigres and yet uh, Atlas uh, scored a goal from the penalty spot deep in stoppage time 90 plus 10 so they ended up taking it 5-4 on aggregate and then the other semifinal, not as much drama Pachuca hammered America 3-0 in the second leg to complete a 4-1 aggregate triumph so it'll be Pachuca against Atlas. Atlas went seven years without winning it, and now they might win two tournaments in a row. Uh, so we'll, When's we'll, that final?
1: Uh, Luis, Luis, do you know when the first and second legs are? It's, a, it's, a, it's two legs, though, right? Yes. Yeah, they should just do a big one game. Come on. <laughs> Who do you got? Uh, I don't have a
2: great feel for it, to be honest, okay. but uh, I'll pick Atlas.
1: Who do you got, Luis? Atlas? All right, all right, well... Congratulations to both those teams for getting to the final. When I say the final, I mean two games. Um, We'll be back again next week. Keep uh, reviewing and downloading and rating and doing all the different things that you do. Our phone number, uh, again, is 657-549-2297. We haven't done some phone calls in a while. Are we just not getting any, Louise? Is that what's happening? So much to cover. I, I understand. I
2: interest understand. in this pod might be waning because you usually come back from these road trips telling me that everybody was asking about the oh, pod. yes, and, I'm sorry. And did. that did no, not no, happen no. this
1: it, week it happened Nashville. again. It's now getting to be such a common occurrence that I've just, you know, I, I can't tell you every, must, as much as you want, I can't tell you every single time somebody approaches me and tells us how great we are. Uh, and, and when I say us, I mean you, how great you are. But yes, it happened again in Nashville. Hey, I listen to the State of the Union. I love uh, the pod. Please say hello to to Demasi. He's awesome. Blah, 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 blah. Although there was a couple of people that came up to me and did take issue with the way that you ate the sandwich like we did last week. So it doesn't mean they don't love you, but, you know, that... Remember we started off the pod talking about the difference between like being quirky, I guess, and batshit crazy right okay i mean that that was batshit you you gotta be crazy yeah (laughs) all right we'll see you again next week on the state of the union podcast same time same place thank you so much for hanging out with us and until then and as always size the day